Well, hello everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. This is Rattlecast number five. We have Pavana Reddy coming up in a little bit. We're going to talk to her and read some poems from her two books, Rangoli and uh, Where Do You Go Alone? But first, um, as always, we're going to have an open mic afterward. So if you want to call in on Skype, all you do is um, get Skype on your phone and text me at, um, or you send a chat message over Skype uh, to live colon rattle poetry. I'll reply and let you know that I have you lined up. And then after the show, we will call you, or I will call you. I'm the only one here. I'll call you on Skype and um, we will, we will do it that way. We also have eight pre-recorded poets lined up to, uh, to read. And if you want to do that, you can go to rattle.com slash rattlecast, and you can send in some uh, poems, audio, and text so we can show it on the screen. Um, hopefully poems that have already been published so we can celebrate your publications and all that. Um, you can do that at uh, rattle.com slash rattlecast. You'll see the instructions there. And we can go through about, I think we have room for maybe five to ten um, pre-recorded open mic poems every episode. Uh, the Skype calls will get the priority, though, so um, hopefully uh, hopefully a lot of people call in because it's really fun to do this live. Um, to start, though, I wanted to talk about Instagram poetry. Um, Pavana Reddy was the star of the Instagram Poets issue, really, and um, uh, we did an interview with her, and we um, featured two of her poems, both in the open section and in the Instagram Poets section. And um, I don't know. I wrote this article uh, for the Press Enterprise newspaper here, um, in the Riverside Press Enterprise. About it's a column I share with the Inlandia Institute. So like every other month or every three months or so, I have a new space. And um, I thought it'd be a good introduction to talk about Instagram poetry that way, just to give you a sort of background, and then we can dive into the books, which is what I really want to focus on. Um, so, so Instagram poetry uh, might be the most hotly debated topic in literature today. For the last few years, citing a boom in book sales, outlets like The Atlantic, The Guardian, Publishers Weekly have regularly proclaimed the social media platform to be the savior of poetry. Traditional poets have either professed a sanguine agreement or fired back with scaling, scathing reviews and parody accounts. And we actually published a, a parody. There's one parody account um, uh, called Tiap Atsni. Uh, which is one of the Instagram poets we actually published. And her real name is Jenny De La O. Uh, and this is her Instagram poem, Girl Burning Sage Like Febreze, Please Just Do Your Laundry. Um, and you know, so, so there's a sort of a strong reaction among poets about Instagram poetry. A lot of it is jealousy because po- Instagram poets actually sell books. Um, but whatever the response, going back to this essay, um, Insta poetry is something to be reckoned with. As I write this, seven of the top 20 best-selling books of poetry on Amazon were written by Instagram poets, and none of the others, Homer, Mary Oliver, Maya Angelou, are contemporary in the literal sense. They're all dead. One of the top 20, the poet and musician David Berman, and, and that's not the David Berman who we had a tribute to last week. That was a formalist poet from the Powwow River Poets. This is David Berman, the musician. Uh, he died just this week, and this week became a best-selling poet for, I assume, the first time. The message to poets seems to be clear. If you want to be commercially successful, there are two options. Be dead or be on Instagram. Uh, needless to say, this isn't a message uh, poets want to hear. Um, and so I thought we'd do a, a tribute to Instagram poetry with this issue, which we've been planning for a long time, in the same way we did slam poetry way back in 2007 or so, uh, before it was 
um, well, it was still controversial among publishers. And I learned a lot doing that issue, and that's what I wanted to learn uh, doing this Instagram Poets issue. Uh, for those unfamiliar with it, Instagram was designed as a social media app that allows people to quickly optimize and stylize smartphone photos to a quality that mimics professional photography, and then share them with friends and followers. Eventually, users started sharing aspirational quotes and other text along with the photos, and adding longer captions, features which lend themselves well to short form and visual poetry. Uh, so I read about over a thousand people who submitted to the Instagram Poets issue, and uh, they could also recommend other poets, so I ended up reading thousands and thousands of poets. Uh, we also looked up as many Instagram poets as we could, all the articles about it. We checked out every poet there was. I really tried to get a sense of what was going on. And um, my conclusion, which I, I almost wrote about this ahead of time in my last column, um, and I, got, I chickened out, but uh, the truth is this. Instagram poetry is just not poetry, um, at least not in the way that I've always conceived of poetry. That doesn't mean it isn't creative or artistic or that it's lacking in value. That doesn't mean there aren't poets on Instagram or poetic elements involved. But poems and Instapoems are different objects on a fundamental and irreconcilable level. They're different actions in different directions with different motivations. Um, Elizabeth Bishop was talking about poetry when she called art the act of self-forgetful, perfectly useless concentration. What she meant was that poetry is a meditative form of aimless exploration. It's a door to the inward unknown and to the mysteries of our existence. The word poetry itself comes from the Greek poesis, a made thing. A poem is a mantra, a mind tool. That's the Sanskrit. Mantra means mind tool. And that's really what poetry is. It's a, it's a mantra. It's a prayer um, that makes meaning out of the chaos of human experience. Poetry is the creation of an associative empathy machine forged on human breath, which illuminates the limits of our awareness. Instagram poetry is the exact opposite. It's self-aware and entirely useful. It is designed to sell, and so it sells. It's not exploration, but expression. Rather than poesis, it's mimos, to mimic, or better the Latin mirari, to look and admire. Rather than a door to a new meaning, it's a mirror held up to the reader, reflecting and rendering beautifully back what the reader already knows and wanted to express. Um, for example, this is a recent poet by Atticus. Um, if I conquered all my demons, there wouldn't be much left of me. So the two-line aphorism doesn't have 40,000 likes. In spite of being a cliche, it has 40,000 likes because it's a cliche. It's the memorable rearticulation of a cliche that we can all relate to and appreciate. And there's value in that. And there's skill and craft involved in its construction. And there is even poetry. But poetry is tangential in the same way poetry is tangential to music. Some music includes poetry, but it doesn't have to be, or it doesn't have to include music in order to be music. It doesn't have to include poetry in order to be music. Uh, the poesis, the meaning-making itself, isn't the point of music. Um, in the same way uh, that some great musicians are also great lyricists, there are many Instagram poets who are also real poets at the same time, who had no problem, we had no problem filling this issue with interesting Insta-poems, but there was no correlation between the poetic quality and their popularity. Uh, in the process of putting this issue together, I met and interviewed Pavana Reddy, a kind of Leonard Cohen who does a marvelous job of successfully navigating both worlds. Reddy has tens of thousands of followers online, but has also published two books, Rangoli and Where Do You Go Alone, that genuinely are doors to the unknown. In her candid interview, uh, she acknowledges both the strengths and limitations of Instagram. Quote, for Instagram as a way to make any kind of profit, I've learned that you need to write for that audience as much as you don't want to. It's funny, sometimes I'll post poems to see what the reaction will be, and it could be a good poem, 
but people would rather hear me tell them they're magic. Well, the fact is people are magic, and it's important to be reminded of that as often as possible. Uh, but to remind is an act of reflection, not creation. Uh, once we understand that distinction, the controversy about insta-poetry begins to unravel. Insta-poetry sells more than traditional poetry because it isn't poetry. It's something different altogether, something with much more commercial appeal. And it's no coincidence that the dominant publisher is Insta-Poets, Andrews McNeil, isn't a literary publisher. It's best known for its comics, puzzles, and gift books. Uh, later in the interview, Reddy shares her excellent and concise definition of poetry as making a story out of a moment. She goes on to say, you can unpack any moment so many different ways, and that's what I like to do. It's kind of, relax of, it's kind of a relaxing time. I can go to work and come back and unwind by thinking about the story. In other words, she writes for that self-forgetful, perfectly useless concentration that Elizabeth Bishop described. And that's why Reddy uh, is both a poet and an Instagram poet. And um, so here she is. Let's bring her in, uh, Pavana Reddy. We'll pick it up in a second, everybody. I think she unmuted her mic. Hey, Pavana, can you hear me? Sorry about that. Yeah. Oh, no problem. Yes, I think That's she unmuted your mic. And, yeah, yeah, no problem at all. So, um, yeah, so I think that you're just fascinating, and your books are fascinating, too, because they straddle that world between, um, between expression and exploration. And there's a way that you sort of have to do that thing where you're speaking for other people in this sort of ambiguous way that like everybody can relate to. But then throughout the books that you write, you also, um, you know, you also have real, um, you know, metaphorical power, I guess you could say. Um, there's a lot going on in these books and, and they're real books of poetry. They're not, they're not Instagram poems, which is the same kind of experience I have too reading Rupi Kaur, who, um, you know, if you read individual poems, they're sort of designed to appeal to people that way. But the whole book, like if you read Milk and Honey through, there's a narrative arc and there's compelling story behind all the poems once you add them up together. Um, right. So, I don't know, do you want to read us a poem just as a sample to start off? Sure. Um, I'm actually going to be reading from both of my books, Rangoli and Where Do You Go Alone? Okay, and great. I'll start off with Rangoli. I have three poems from here, one small one okay. and two longer bits. Okay, perfect. Mm-hmm. The roots of my parents grow from two different orchards. Their seeds have been planted within me. I was born outside of both of their countries and was left to grow roots of my own. For those of us whose bodies are filled with foreign flowers, we long for the home that was cut out of the picture. A phantom limb we can't stop touching. And we spend our lives marrying the seeds within us so they may grow as one in unfamiliar soil. Some of us are flower gardens carrying no roots. We sow our own earth and water our own petals to grow our own footing. We are left to create beautiful orchards of our own out of the two humble seeds planted within our hearts. The next poem is on page 217. I want to write a story about the last day we spent together. I want to write about the river we sat beside, 
and the Indian film songs we sang while balancing on rocks slippery with moss. How we devoured melted Cadburys with the berries we picked as we chased a golden chain of sunlight draped around the riverbank. I want to write chapters on our memories, but somehow stories never feel complete. So instead, I'll write you a poem. I sat near that riverbank the day after you died, watching the water flow over the naked rocks now stripped of moss, and finally, I understood. Wherever the water flows, something always leaves with it. Okay, and the last poem from Rangoli is on page 221. The day my parents were divorced, I sat waiting in front of the television, absorbed in a documentary about swans. Swans mate for life, a distant voice narrated in my head. And they will remain in pairs until the very end. I watched, enthralled at how these swans never ventured far from one another. My father came out first. He gave me a hug and sat with me for a while, never saying a word. I looked back at the screen just in time to see the two swans spread their wings and fly straight into the sun, two silver jets chalking the brilliant sky. When I looked back up, he was gone. So those are the poems from my first book, Rangoli. Yeah, so, so Rangoli, which is a beautiful book, um, it sort of has two themes running through it, which I'm not sure if, you know, it's hard to pick up in a small sample, but the, the first is sort of a diaspora theme. Um, their poems mm-hmm. written to, or written in the voice of the brown girl. Um, yeah. And then the other is the death of your sister, which is what that poem was about. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and it's a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, I, I'm showing on the screen right now. Um, this is Rangoli. Do you want to tell everybody, just for people who don't know, what Rangoli is and um, what the symbolism is for the book? Sure. So Rangoli is a popular design used primarily in South Asia. And I, um, it's basically a symmetrical circle with designs in the middle that is filled usually with you know, crushed petals or colored chalk um, or powder. And it's basically a symmetrical circle with these beautiful, intricate designs. And I grew up watching my mom make it. And we used to use them, like, as a blessing in a new home or a new space that we'd be moving into. And um, for this book, since this book is such a personal part of my family's story, I thought it would be ideal to have my mom make a design of a rangoli for the cover, which is what the cover is. And it's kind of a invitation into our home, which is why I decided to name it Rangoli. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a beautiful book, and um, it's also a great testament. I always tell people to um, 
that self-publishing is the way to go unless you want to be a university professor who you need a CV to fill up with, with fancy credits. Because the <laughs> book, the quality of, of – uh, you, you use this on Amazon, right? This is where you – Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's a beautiful book, um, Inside and Out. Both both of the two books are beautiful works of art. And um, so you can see the care that, that went into each. And it's a care that, that might not even happen at a, at a press if you had, um, you know, other people with their ideas of what you wanted for the cover and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. um, and you said in the in the interview that we did that um, you, this is a decision. You don't want to use um, um, other presses because you want to have that control. Um, right. And do you still feel that way? Do you want to, um, you know, are you keep how, like how is the uh, the other book, which I can put on the screen too? We'll, we'll read that for more later. But um, um, are you happy with how this book turned out too? And um, is that still your plan to always self publish? It's not my plan. It's just the way it's been working out so far, mm-hmm. and I like it. You know, so far it's been great doing this by myself. It is starting to get a little overwhelming, yeah, so yeah. I would like a little help, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like a little help would make me go a little further as well. Mm-hmm. Um, doing this all by yourself is a task. I mean, I still have to work. Yes. It's not my, you yeah. know, my mm-hmm. number one job, So, or my only job. It's, it is my number one job. It's definitely my first love, but... Mm-hmm. Um, being able the the second book is doing amazing for considering that I don't have any other press other than my own social media and myself. Yeah, um, I'm really proud of it, and I would love to keep pushing it and see where else it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to read some more more poems from Where Do You Go Alone? Oh, whichever you'd prefer. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. your reading. Read, have- read whatever you like. Yeah. I have a few marks from Where Do You Go Alone. Do you want it? Do you want to uh, introduce that book a little bit? Do you want me to read? Um, let me read the introduction. Um, and, and I really want to hear more about about the the title. Uh, but I'll read this beginning for everybody, and hopefully they can see the black, the white on black. Yeah, they can. Okay. Um, so this is a quote. This is the first page, and this is from again from Fonaretti's newest book, which just came out maybe a month or two ago. Uh, Where Do You Go Alone? Um, and this is from Carl Sagan at the beginning. Um, let me get this lined up better. Okay. Uh, look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. And he's talking about um, the pale blue dot, which I don't even think will resolve. Um, it is right there. And that's Earth. Um, uh, look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father— hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the, in the history of our species lived there on a mote of dust suspended on a sunbeam. And it's again, you can't even see the blue dot, which uh, is right there. Maybe you can. Um, and also, uh, let me just pause for one second to say uh, hello, to, hello to Tom Brown, um, Gigi Days, Tim Tidro. Um, Joshua Williams. If you have any questions at all for Pavana, I'm reading the chat on uh, YouTube, and we'll, I'll forward along any questions you have for her. Um, but that, that quote, to start with the book, was Carl Sagan. 
um, talking about the pale blue dot photograph. And here's another uh, blurb that I think Pavana wrote this text. Uh, In 1977, Voyager 1 was sent into interstellar space on a mission to reach a star, 17.6 light years from Earth. Included on the spacecraft was the golden record or planet Earth's musical message in a bottle, consisting of sounds and images selected to represent the life and diversity of our planet. The music chosen to be on this interstellar mixtape was handpicked by Carl Sagan and includes the likes of Guan Ping Ku, Louis Armstrong, and Blind Willie Johnson. When I first listened to this record, one particular song which stood out for me among the rest was written by a singer from a remote hilly village in the heart of Goa, known as Kesarbai Kirkar? Kirkar? Kirkar. Kirkar. I'm sorry for butchering those names. Uh, (laughs) A woman whose legacy on earth has literally crumbled to dust, while her voice still lives on far away among the stars. Kesarbai's Rega, and I can't say that either. I'll let you say it. What's it called? How do you pronounce it? Uh, I mean, my my Hindu is very well, bad. Well, your too, Hindu so. is as is, 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 is far out as Voyager is. That's how bad my Hindu is. So, <laughs> okay, uh, was launched into space the same the same year she died. So, it's a really a beautiful story. Um, can you can you sort of elaborate on that? Tell us how you found that and what it means to you, because that's the, so, that's the heart of the book right here. And this yeah, is her, her on the cover too, which I can put on screen. That's her great grandniece. Oh, that's her great grandniece. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that line that we both just butchered translates to, where are you going all alone, fair maidens, your feet not know? And so when I heard that, that was inspiration to the title, Where Do You Go Alone? Mm-hmm. Um, the song, Kesarbai wrote the song the same, or the same year she died was when the song was launched into space. And she left behind no music. She had no ancestry, or no um Children. She, the only family she had was her great grandniece, mm-hmm. and the photo on the cover was found after me doing so much hunting about information about her. There weren't very much articles about her, and I found this photo. There was an article um, written by a team in India that traveled to Goa to her home and found her great grandniece and asked to photograph her. So I hunted for that phot- photographer and I asked for permission to use. Um, kissed her by his great grandniece for my cover, and she gave me permission mm-hmm. to. And so that's how I got the cover. Yeah, it's, ama- it's such an amazing story, and amazing that we don't like know that story, that that's not part of know. The, the, you know, culture. There's so many stories that sort of everybody knows. It seems like that should be one of them. Um, I agree. Do you, how did she die? Uh, just an old age. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but it's just, I don't know, it's just such a beautiful, I don't know, a beautiful thing to have Forever. I mean, that the the purpose of that golden record is that it will survive as long as anything we can make as human beings, yeah. and so that song will be out there when when the pale blue dot isn't anymore, possibly. Um, yeah, so. and it's such a weird thing to think about, but also beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it really is. So, how does that tie in with the themes of the book? Like how like how do you see it operating within the the text? So, I have the moon the the book divided by different full moons. So different moon cycles. And my idea with, about this was, you know, Carl Sagan says it himself where he's says we've everything on this planet could disappear. You know, we're just literally on a mode of dust suspended as some meme. So everything throughout history that we feel, even poetry, if you go back and read, you know, the greats, we all write about 
similar things. It's almost like a cycle that we go through every generation where we just have the same fears, have the same, you know, joys. And the cycle of that going on and on is kind of, it's repetitive, it's hard. Like, it's almost as if, if you had a chance to, say if this world just disappeared, that amount of dust just fell off that sunbeam and was never seen from again, how much did you do on earth that mattered, that mm -hmm. brought you joy? Yeah. Um, and so that's what this book is. This book is a cycle of that sadness. There's a lot of that repeating in the book, but there's also, it ends on a kind of a, a little bit of hope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But there's also that acknowledgement that this will keep going. Mm -hmm. This will keep continuing. This is a cycle that you don't do just once. You're going to have to continue doing this. Yeah. yeah. The healing and the pain. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was thinking. Yeah. I just, I'm fascinated by the way that you work both the Instagram short poems, um, which are, as I was talking about before, they're designed to be relatable to everybody. Like they're, they're mm -hmm. very concise and pithy and um, universal. But then you work in the deeper poems um, in a way that um, it sort of expands the meaning of, of the other poems. I, I think, you know, you can read a lot of your short poems as either both about um, some kind of lost love, maybe, and about your sister who you lost. And, mm -hmm. um, and so there's a really interesting way that you thread that all through together. How conscious of that were you? Is it something that you... Um, um, I don't know, did it, did it come out spontaneously or did you like plot and, and organize this book in a way that it would do that? I, a little bit of both. I think my style of writing is just that, mm -hmm. that I don't really tell the whole story, but I'll tell you what that story meant to me. Mm -hmm. So the poetry in itself is already that. So a lot of the poetry that I had written or that I put in this book were written years ago, like six years ago. And so when I was organizing them, I was, I guess, consciously threading a story together that I didn't directly tell with mm -hmm. the poems. Yeah. I'm hoping that people will take away different stories from them. Mm -hmm. um, but the overall concept of going through a cycle of pain and healing is still, you know, there. Mm -hmm. It's easy to pick up on. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you want to read some more poems from the book? Sure. Okay. Um, I have a few. Uh, the first one is an intro, is an introduction poem, so there isn't a page number. But it's right after the introduction. And this poem is more of a poem dedicated to the whole concept of the book and the reason why I chose the title and that story about Kate Survey and Carl Sagan. <clears throat> after a while, it doesn't matter who leaves first. We are becoming what we always were. Before her very first breath of dawn, the moon said to the newborn earth, when you open your eyes, this will all become temporary. And the earth replied by gazing directly into the sun. The next poem is on page 130. I only have a few. This is probably one of the only poems I have titled in my book, and this is dedicated to my sister. 
It's called Her Name Meant Dream. For women of color whose bodies are made of clay, we are a world map of loss. When they ask me where I'm from, I no longer name a country, but you. Dear sister, when they ask me for your name, I hesitate out of fear of you drowning in their ignorance. I've already lost you once. Instead, I give them your meaning. I come from a dream, from a tune I'm desperately trying to remember the words to, that I haven't been able to sleep right since. Dear sister, I am sorry for turning you into a poem. It was the only way they'd listen. The world doesn't have patience for stories about brown girls convinced their life isn't worth living. I'm sorry the only time they call you beautiful is when you're neatly pressed against their white space. So relatable and unthreatening in your pain. I am sorry because there was nothing beautiful about your death. For women made of clay, fire and water have paved our bodies, burning and softening our souls into molds of our ancestors, shapes out of our dreams. I want to tell you that I grew up to be half the girl you wanted me to be, and in a way, I did. I grew up to be a writer, and you, you are the color of my ink. Everything I write is stained with you. But even with you next to me, there are days I wish I could erase everything. Days when I still have to justify my skin to more people who look like us than the ones who killed you. Days when I can't stop seeing tears fall silently off mom's face as she reassures her mother back home that she is happy. Days when I have to listen to my coworker from Idaho tell me we are all immigrants. An ocean of words foam in my mouth that I want to spit back at her, demand what she had to sacrifice to be here, but the immigrant in me makes me bite back, keeps me silent, makes me swallow my own blood. I am tired of reminding people that no one just happens to leave entire countries. I'm tired of marching with women who need reminding. Dear sister, the day you died, mom asked me if she could rename me after you and I told her she didn't have to. If I never had a home before, I do now in these words with you that even though I am so tired, I will continue to hold your name close and cherish it the way dreams ought to be cherished. I will fulfill you the way the world never could. Dear sister, if only you could see how the words have helped so many young girls who look just like you. It's a dream come true. I just wish you were here to believe it.
this last poem, I mean, not this last poem, this next poem on page 132 is actually dedicated to both my sister and a story I read about Janelle Miles, who was a young kid who killed himself after coming out and he was bullied so badly that he felt he had to take his own life. <clears throat> Surviving you is a slow death. Storm clouds swallowing the bluest sky, you see the rain coming, but you've learned to stop running. Surviving you is being named brave for something I did not earn nor want. It's listening to strangers console me for my loss when you were never lost. You went away. Surviving you is reading about a nine-year-old boy who learned the meaning of suicide before tolerance. Another memory buried beneath bouquets of hashtags grown from poisoned earth. Surviving you is watching a mother bury her own child. It's what turns people into seasons, the most beautiful parts of them always struggling to hold on. Surviving you is a reminder of all the ways we die and bring ourselves back to life. It is accepting that your departure was less a suicide than it was a form of self-preservation, a reminder that this world still hasn't learned. Surviving you is why I am more graveyard than body, more altar than flesh. Perhaps this is why I refuse to allow the earth of my bones to claim me. Surviving you is the reason I am alive, my body's way of remembering. Surviving you is a prayer. I will take this grief if it fills me with you. So the last poem I'm going to read is, um, it was actually inspired by a photo I saw of Hautuan, China, which was this ghost village that was overtaken by all this, all these plants. And it was, it just looks like a haunted spare scene from Spirited Away. It was just so beautiful. And I, I had to, write a poem about it. And the story that I told in it was about a Dalit woman in India by the name of, name of Jisha who was raped and killed. And nobody knew about it because of her status in India as a Dalit woman. <clears throat> uh, what page is it on? Oh, sorry, page 134. Okay. If we trace everything back far enough, we always return to nature. In Hatuan, China, a ghost village is found beneath a thick blanket of greenery. What is left behind can also flourish. In the end, we are all abandoned. If a mother's womb is as far back as our minds can fathom, what kind of scenery grows within her now? I imagine the inside of her to be a haunting and beautiful place. In Kerala, 
A Dalit mother finds the mutilated body of her daughter stolen by men secretly attracted to the night. Everything comes back to where it began. A mother's womb swallows her emptiness. A daughter killed for her place in this world is taken back by the earth to grow again. In the end, we are all new growth spreading over haunted towns. And that's that film, Where Do You Go Alone? Well, thank you. That was beautiful poems. Um, thank you. Um, so, so one of the interesting things is that um, you you have you're the author of a song. Can you tell people that story, and then maybe read that poem? Because I I actually I got to it, and then uh, I was reading this right as my son was doing his jujitsu class, and it ended <laughs> right as I started. So maybe you could tell us about how that that um that that poem song came to be, and uh, and then read that for us. Sure. Um, while I find it, let me tell you. Okay. So uh, a while back when I first started on Instagram, um, I wasn't really on it seriously. I just wanted to give it a chance for my, well, I wanted to give my work a chance on Instagram mm-hmm. to see what the response would be. And so I was writing my poems. I didn't have a huge following. And out of one day, out of nowhere, my idol, Anushka Shankar, she's a, a satirist, that I grew up listening to, who I absolutely adore, um, reached out to me and asked me to um, write a song for her new album, Land of Gold. And this was a huge deal because she has never, before this, had never um, released an album with lyrics. So this was a huge deal for me, and I had um, kind of a skeleton poem ready to give her, and we worked from that. Um, and she actually had Vanessa Redgrave read the poem on the track. So it was very special. Yeah, that's just amazing that, that you were already a huge fan and then and then she contacts you. I mean, what a cool story. It was very surreal. Like, I still can't believe that happened. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was very cool. It's probably one of the best things that's ever happened because of social media. Mm-hmm. And, <clears throat> okay, so it's on page 291. And the poem is called Remain the Sea. Mother swallows golden sand, whispers she's taking back what's hers. Her feet are two split continents. Her heart is the map of the world. Lay with me through my storm, she says, Be the moon to my sea. I ask her, but where does the heart go when it's taken from the motherland? I'm like the sky, pregnant with life and searching for a safe place to empty. Mother crashes her body against the shore, says pain is what we carry upon our backs. Love is being silent about the weight. The death of the motherland is not in what we leave behind, but in everything we forget, and you are not so privileged. You are a child of fire and water. The strength to be the storm and to carry it is within you. So 
So storm, she says, and I will carry your every drop. The body is a continent, but may your heart always remain the sea. You guys should definitely look up that song because Vanessa Redgrave reads it a lot better than I can. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking about playing it, and then I realized we'd probably get one of those copyright strikes if we did because it's actually um, commercially relevant, unlike everything else yeah, we, you might. we read here. Um, but that was just beautiful, and um, and Thank everybody you. should go. I'll, I'll put a, a link to the actual song in the uh, show notes so people can listen to it actually read and played, which would be really cool. Um, so... Um, maybe just to close it out, um, what are you working on now? You, you mentioned um, in your bio that we published along with the conversation. And once again, this, uh, there's a long conversation with Pavana in uh, Rattle Number 64, uh, which is the summer issue. And everybody really, um, that was one of the highlights of the issue, the conversation. Um, a lot of people told me, because, because people aren't expecting you to be so candid about, about Instagram and, <laughs> and all the, the foibles and, and the strengths too. I think it was a really clear... Um, presentation of 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 everything that it actually is um but anyway you mentioned you're working on uh, your future books already um what are your future books about what what are you working on i don't know what they're about yet <laughs> okay <laughs> so they're, they're still in shape so i i am working at their poetry book um i'm still all of that is still coming together the concept the idea i'm still writing some poems for it um i also would like to branch out with my work so i'm thinking of writing some short films that can be told in a poem. So basically a long, not necessarily a long poem, but a poem that's turned into a film. And um, I'm thinking maybe five minutes, mm -hmm. you know, something short. Um, and just really kind of seeing how I could branch out with poetry outside of just the, the poetry book mm -hmm. and see how other ways I could present it. So I'm really interested in doing that and more songwriting for yeah. sure. Mm -hmm. Do you yeah. do you play any instruments or anything? No, no, <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's awesome. Um, thanks so much for joining us. Um, these are two beautiful books, which everybody can buy on Amazon.com. Um, once again, they are "Where Do You Go Alone" by Pavana Reddy and um, Rangoli, and um, and check them both out. They're um, unlike unlike other publishers. All the proceeds go to Pavana, which is a really great thing too, um, and Amazon, and you know whatever. Definitely Amazon. Yeah, yeah, Amazon, and, and what's his name? What's the Amazon guy's name? He takes a big chunk. <laughs> yeah, what's his name again? Yeah, I'm drawing a blank. It's a yeah long day, but um, but anyway, thanks so much, Pavana. Uh, beautiful poems. Really, really enjoyed talking to you, and I think we'll move on to the uh, open mic. So have a good one, and uh, we'll see you soon. Actually, I should mention we're seeing you very soon at the uh, Wrightwood Literary Festival. Um, yes, you're going to be yeah that. you're going to be teaching um, a class on Instagram poetry, which should be really interesting. A bunch of people have already signed up. If you're in the LA area or anywhere in Southern California, we have people come as far away as like Tennessee um, oh, cool. and um, in Nevada, Northern California, Arizona, stuff like that. So if anybody is within driving distance, if you could make it a road trip for the weekend, come in and take a class on Instagram poetry with Pavana. Um, she'll <laughs> she'll do a reading the next day. We also have Janet Fitch as the headline keynote speaker. Uh, a bunch of other classes, cool stuff, and hikes and all sorts of fun stuff. So so do uh, stop by for that. And I'm looking forward to seeing you then. Yay. Okay, thank you for having yeah, me. Yeah, thank you. All right. Bye-bye. So that was uh, Pavana Reddy. Thanks so much to her. Uh, beautiful reading of a beautiful pair of books. Um, let me see if anybody would like to call in on the open mic. Let's see. 
Uh, Josh Williams. Joshua Williams is here. Um, if you'd like to call, uh, if you'd like to call on the open mic, just a reminder to um, make sure that you. Uh, well, first of all, send a chat message to me at Rattle Poetry, and I'll call you back. And then once I do call you back, make sure you turn off your uh, YouTube stream so that you don't have the feedback and you get confused. There's about a thirty second delay. So let's try right now to call uh, Joshua Williams. We'll see if he answers. There's a he tried to call in a couple weeks ago. It's ringing this time. Something was blocking him last time he tried to to call. Hopefully we won't have that problem. Here. Um, but here we have Joshua Williams. Thanks so much for calling. I'm glad it worked this time. Oh yeah, absolutely. It was uh what's that? I don't have Skype working on my home computer, but at work it works. There you go. That's perfect. <laughs> uh, so you got a poem or, or two even? I mean, you're the only caller well, right now. So uh, if you want to do two, you could, but one's good too. Well, let's go through like 10 then. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's do it. No, no, I'm just playing. Uh, so let me uh, pull up, you know, I think I'll just do uh, some haiku out of uh, my forthcoming book called The Strangest Conversation. It's being oh, cool. uh, published by Red Moon Press. So oh, I'll just Red do. Moon Press. We have uh, uh, Richard Gilbert, who pub- I think he publishes with Red Moon Press sometime too. Next week is the yeah, featured absolutely. poet. Um, where are you calling from? I forgot to ask. Carrollton, Georgia. Ah, Carrollton, Georgia. Okay. Well, whenever you're ready. Absolutely. Let me find something here. Okay. Okay. Summer dawn, a red carnation full of rain. Summer dawn, a red carnation full of rain. I'm just scrolling through till I find one that catches my eye. Memorial Day, the coal will become. Memorial Day, the coal will become. Zebra crossing, the barred windows I walk in. Zebra crossing, the barred windows I walk in. In my father's voice, I can't tell her which stars even exist. In my father's voice, I can't tell her which stars even exist. Trimming trees, the hawthorn effect between neighbors. Trimming trees, the hawthorn effect between neighbors. Still cold, unanswered cat song. Still cold, unanswered cat song. Recounting the words between us, winter rain. Recounting the words between us, winter rain. If you want to, I can read a longer poem as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. Why don't you do that actually? Because I love the live okay. things, and only one person has asked so far to be live. So, uh, and we we have All pre-recorded right. stuff, but might as well hear a little bit more. Let's let's do okay. it. Wait, this, say, this... say again one more time what that book is from. That was from uh... Uh, the strangest conversation. It's uh, going to be due out. It's either going to be uh, finished by the end of this month or early uh, September. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you read one Absolutely. longer poem too? Okay. Um, I guess I'll go with a hyben here, um, but I, it's what I call a verse hyben. Uh, most most hyben are written in prose, and then you have a uh, haiku that accompanies it and interacts with it. This is a, uh, basically a, a sonnet 
um, mixed that a sonnet and then followed by a haiku. Uh, so, um, yeah, here we go. Planting. My parents grew a pear tree in their yard. The branches were a test they failed to endure. Even if its shaded shelter forgave the passage that connected house and street, the tree was only discontent in motion, having been planted right beside cement. Forgetting about the fruit the tree would make, they talked about it as a lasting mistake, a sin from which they never could repent, even though they could not hide their emotion about the gray and bare branches that beat in waves to grass that would become their grave. It grew too large too fast and caught them off guard. They cut it down before it was mature. Returning crickets. I remember the old hymn my father once sang. Yeah, great poems. Yeah, thanks so much, Joshua. Oh, no problem at all. Yeah, and, and call in any other time. Uh, I, I love having people who actually can do the Skype and call in live. So anytime you're at work, uh, <laughs> yeah, just, just uh, you know, punch Absolutely. out and take some time or, or whatever. <laughs> my pleasure, and thank you for having yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, my pleasure. It's a lot of fun. Um, and actually, that's a great segue because uh, next week we have um, – I'm going to hang out for, we're, uh, with Joshua here. See you later, Joshua. Thanks again. Bye. Um. Yeah, so it's a great segue because next week um, we're going to do a book, uh, Poetry is Consciousness, Haiku Forests, Space of Mind, and an Ethics of Freedom by Richard Gilbert. Um, and it's not a book of poetry. It's a book of – is it published by the same press? No, I don't think so. I don't see the press on here anyway. But um, it's about the kind of consciousness concerns I was talking about in that introduction um, to Pavana's work about about what – poesis is and what the making is what are we making um, making is creation of meaning and um so richard gilbert who we interviewed in our haiku issue issue number 47 um has has that book and he's going to read a bunch of haiku and talk about um he's also a i think he called it a deep deep psychologist i think that might be the word he has some he has a phd in some um, really deep psychology, and uh, that's the basis of this book. And he's one of the one of the most brilliant haiku scholars in the world. And so he will be talking about poetry as consciousness next week. So um, enjoy that. Uh, in the meantime, let us let's see one more check. If you'd like to read live on Skype, just um, send me a quick chat message, and I will call you back sometime while we do these. Um, wherever they went while well, we do these open mic poems. Now, once again, these open mic poems were pre-recorded. Um, you could submit them through Submittable and um, you know, just send me the, the poem. Hopefully you introduce the poem a little bit, say who you are, where you're from, if the poem was published, so we get that feel like you're actually right here with us, even though there's a time shift going on. Um, and you just submit those through Submittable at uh, rattle.com slash rattlecast. You can find the link for that. Um, so here's the first poem of the day. And this is by Thomas Osichoff. He was uh, calling in or recording this from Manila, Philippines. And here he is. An extension cord to the sun, just as our hearts do, breathing silently. The yellow Nara door lets through a sword of light. Split Amboina heartwood into reddish-brown massacre Could be burl knife through the golden door To let in an extension cord to the sun 
Douglas Fir. Today we are going to learn about firefighters. The forest is very quiet tonight. Infer it breathing. Western hemlock. There's a trail through the trees. In, out. Western red cedar. You will give us strength of lasers if we stand with our backs against you. Canoes, baskets, masks, coffins. Totem pole justice in BC. At last there are many forests, e.g. The Battle of Teutoburg Forest, 9 CE. Breathe, start over, just as our hearts do. So again, that was Thomas Osichev. Uh, writing in, he was calling in from the Philippines. Um, and let's see, he says, Thomas Osuchev, together with family, is building a self-sustaining home near a waterfall. He says, my experience as an educator reflects in the poetry I make, as does my battle with autoimmunity. So that was a little note Thomas Osuchev included with that poem. I assume the waterfall is in Manila, Philippines. Uh, let's see what else we have. And once again, um, if you would like to call in, feel free to call in on Skype. That's always fun. Um, let's see, uh, Chris Jensen says depth psychology. Yeah, that's right. It wasn't deep psychology. It's depth psychology, which Richard Gibbon, I think has a PhD in, um, let's see. So Chris Jensen is here. He's leaving comments. That was his, his note. So let me find Chris Jensen's poem right here. Oh, it's the next poem already. So here it is. This is Chris Jensen from Athens, Georgia. And, uh, his note with the poem, he said he's a recovering heroin addict who lives in Athens, Georgia, where he teaches boxing and cares for a disinterested guinea pig named Poozy Bear. So uh, say hi to Poozy Bear for us, uh, Chris. This is Spin the Bottle. Spin the Bottle. Round and round and round she goes. Where she stops, nobody knows. This time maybe on depressed Cassie, who came home from school and found her mother swinging from the rafters. Maybe on Kyle, whose boots have no laces. His father told him he was cancer. Maybe on Brittany, born in the wrong body. Maybe on Junkie Mind Jerry, who was sent home to die. Or maybe on Jonah the Joker, who could make even the suicides laugh. He will relapse in two months. When it comes to my turn, I will pray. Lord, let it land on green-eyed Destiny, who always wears long sleeves. She liked my poem. In rehab, we played games to help us learn how to be human again. Now, almost fully human, I drive toward night convinced that I'm grateful for it all. Though this evening sky is bloody as a botched abortion, and the bottle never stops spinning, and the earth never stops turning, and the moon revolves through the houses, her face always illuminated, her body always in darkness. Round and round and round she goes. Where she stops, nobody knows. So once again, that was Chris Jansen from Athens, Georgia. Thanks so much for calling in, Chris. 
beautiful reading of the poem too. Uh, I loved the way you presented that. It's great stuff. Um, and by the way, just because people uh, people are mentioning it, um, that was not the same person, Joshua Williams, who called. We just happened to both be bald with beards. But as you can see, I have all the gray, and his was much fuller. And I've had this look for a very long time, even before it was in fashion, unlike Joshua. Um, let's go to the next poem. Let's see what we have. This is interesting. This is from uh, Paula... Or Paula Paul Paul oh, she said it really quick. You'll hear it in a second. Um Paula Paul Paulak. I'm not sure. But she's from Helsinki Helsinki, Finland. And uh she says she's a writer, a beat poet, an MA history of science and ideas, who has also worked as a gardener, a tutor, and a school assistant. Her first book of poetry was published in two thousand seventeen to celebrate Finland's hundred a hundredth birthday. So here she is, and I'll let you say her say her name herself, because I can't get through that. True Colors by Paula Polak, Helsinki, Finland. First published on PoetryPotion.com, South Africa. If I was a bird, how would I see the world? We humans do not have the same kind of UV vision as the birds, but it's obvious we too have our personal views when evaluating other human beings. In you, I see the white light. Your true color is the color of the crown chakra, even though the others have stated that your aura is black. Thank you. And once again, that was Paula Polaka from Helsinki, Finland, reading True Colors. Thanks so much for doing that. She used um, the pre-record option and, and uploaded that through Submittable. So thanks so much, Paula. Uh, next up, we have... Um, oh, hang on one second, everybody. I meant to... She included her address on this PDF. I wanted to squeegee that out. And her email address, too. Okay, just in case it comes up on screen. Um, this next one is by Daniela Buccelli. And it's called Light Cattle. And uh, Daniela, she's a poet from Carnegie, Pennsylvania, with a chapbook from Main Street, Street Rag out this year called What It Takes to Carry. And I think she said that this is from that chapbook. So here she is. My name is Daniela Buccilli. I am a poet and a high school English teacher. I'm an immigrant and a citizen. I live in a small mill town called Carnegie, Pennsylvania, a little south of Pittsburgh. The poem I'm going to read is called Like Cattle. You can find it in my chapbook, which is called What It Takes to Carry. It's been published by Main Street Rag this year. 2019. Like cattle. It's a light blue bumpy world where the boot of Italy is a broken stick and the U.S. spreads out in large S. We find Libya on the globe at our knees. My grandfather spins what sounds hollow, a paper mache toy. I am 16. CNN is new. It broadcasts crowds cheering General Gaddafi. Dark-haired heads gather like cattle. 
I agree, they look Italian. He spins the world once, hits it to stop it. He says he was in Rome in a crowd once, too. Because America bombs North Africa. Someone has filmed curly heads of short men, bullied by their pride, and my grandfather, once black-shirted fascist, cocksure, tallest of short men, sees himself in Muslim crowds and says, I didn't know much when I was young. I don't sully the air between us. I don't tell him what my father, his son, said, that there's nothing to be done with fascists, even old ones, except kill them. There was another great reading that was Like Cattle, by Daniela Buccilli. Um, once again, her, she has a chapbook coming out from Main Street Rag this year called What It Takes to Carry, so keep an eye on that. Thanks so much for sharing that with us, Daniela. I don't know about you, but this is just fun for me. So I could sit here for a long time reading these poems. It's very much uh, very much like reading submissions, except better, because I get to hear the, the people actually read the poems. And great readings, too. The, the way people are reading is really good. Also, just to mention, I love the way uh, Daniela introduced the poem. That's what we want you to do, if possible, for these recordings when you pre-record. Uh, but great poem, great reading. Thanks so much. Um, thanks so much, Daniela Buccilli. Uh Next up, let's see what we have. This is going to be Stephen Bett, who... Um, a pretty well-known poet. You might recognize the name. Uh, but first, let me say one more time, if you, there's still room if you want to read live, if anybody has the courage. I know it, it takes both technical skill and, um, you know, I almost said balls. I'll just say balls to, to read live, uh, live on Skype, showing your face in your house when you know it's going to be recorded forever, at least until the sun explodes. Um, so, so we really appreciate people like Joshua Williams who are brave enough to call in, um, but but even if you don't, it's really fun to do this for me. So I hope you're enjoying this too. Uh, let's see. Stephen Bett uh, is a poet from Victoria, British Columbia, reading a poem from his book, Sound Off. And he says about it, This is not a book by any means for jazz fans alone. It is a book of poems and assumes little to no insider music knowledge. I write strictly as a fan. They are poems for readers. No jazz expertise required. A happy book. So uh, what we're doing here is, is this is the open mic, so I have no idea what's coming up, but we're celebrating poems. So, so be sure to send in your own poems and, and join the celebration. Uh, and here is Bill Frisell. From Stephen Betts, Sound Off, A Book of Jazz. Bill Frisell. Don't know anyone who can play chords like you so dangerously alive in the moment's edge otherwise voracious explorer top drawer and top drawer too at the local jazz festival when dreaming the blues how could anyone do better truly picking raw steel off the soul, sir. And once again, that was Stephen Bett reading his book or poem Bill Frissel from his book Sound Off. Uh, let's see what we have up next. Ah, Alien Abductee's Daughter. 
And this uh, is by Brittany Corrigan. This is so at the bottom. Copyright 2018. Well, maybe not. Um, uh, Brittany's been in, in a couple issues. Actually, Poets Respond twice, I think. She had a uh, poem about eels spilling out of a truck in a car accident. And then she had our Christmas poem uh, on Christmas last year, too, for Poets Respond. Um, let's see, what did she say? She was raised in Colorado, but it's called Portland, Oregon, her home since 1990. She's the author of a chapbook and also the full-length book, Navigation, from the Habit of Rainy Nights Press. Uh, and here she is, reading Alien Abductee's Daughter. Hi, this is Brittany Corrigan from Portland, Oregon. This poem is called Alien Abductee's Daughter. It was published in the Santa Clara Review in February 2018 and is part of a larger manuscript, which is a collection of persona poems in the voices of daughters of various characters from folklore, mythology, and popular culture. Alien Abductee's Daughter My mother isn't a sci-fi movie 1960s housewife drying her hands on her apron as she half sleepwalks into the yard where there's a bright beam waiting to levitate her through the whipping wind kind of gal. She makes grilled cheese sandwiches sensibly with butter on both sides and pickles and tomato soup. She reads novels of literary merit, maybe a little magical realism thrown in, but not enough to make her moony. She believes in ghosts, it's true, the same way she believes in mathematics, the beauty of theories and formulations, the attempt to enumerate all things, black holes, gravity, planetary orbits and tides, weather, dark matter, energy. What I'm saying is, I believe her. If she lost time, it likely was because of the UFO. I mean, she's not an invents bedtime stories kind of mom. There's nothing impossible about it. It all comes down to simple math. Listen, my father's not really my father. That's what I'm trying to tell you. When he's gone, we know exactly where he goes. You can smell it on his clothes, sour and sloppy. My mother was returned only slightly disheveled and carrying me. See, my skin has a shimmery gray undertone. Just look at my whopping green eyes. We don't need my father anymore. They're coming back for us. I can feel it. That's why my mother stands in the yard every night, crying, holding my hand. We're certain. We know the lights will come. Once again, that was Brittany Corrigan reading Alien, Abdu Alien Abductee's Daughter. I think we have two more, maybe. Maybe one more. Let's see. Uh, this is J. Thomas Brown from Richmond, Virginia. Uh, J. Thomas Brown says he lives in Richmond, Virginia with his wife, Deborah. He has co-produced local TV writing shows and coordinated poetry readings at the Richmond Public Library and has a book coming out, which you'll hear about in September. And this is his poem, Invasion. Let me see. Is this the last poem we have? Yep, this is the last poem we have for tonight, so hope you enjoy. Invasion. Hello, my name is J. Thomas Brown. I live and write in Richmond, Virginia. My poem is called Invasion, and I wrote it uh, in April during uh, National Poetry Month. The poem was recorded in my home studio 
which is essentially a closet in my bedroom. Invasion will be included in a collection of 33 poems called Mooncalf, which will be published in audio and written format in September. On a morning walk in early spring, a cherry tree spread its petals to the sun. Black cables stretched above, pulsing light of offs and ons, singing zeros and ones. Inside the fiber-optic sheath, stories from foreign places, spoken in a language I do not know, invaded every household lined along the road. Keening mothers in Aleppo searching the morgues, Lament of a boy in Baghdad, legless in his blood. Dirges of murdered prayers in burning mosques and churches. Silent stare of children locked in cages. Pan away from sinking boats. Pan away from the blat of bump stock guns. Close up to a politician lying through septic pores in ultra-definition. Broken in a flash, a data burst, on a bright spring day above the cherry tree, in a country I do not know. So once again, that was our last poet on the open mic today. And that was J. Thomas Brown from Richmond, Virginia, reading Invasion from a book of his that's about to come out. Uh, that's all for now. I hope you enjoyed the show. It was really fun for me. It always is. Um, and be sure to tune in next week. Uh, next week we have, as we mentioned before, that's Richard Gilbert there. Uh, the funny thing is he uh, lives in Japan, but is coming here to Los Angeles uh, that week. And um, and he asked if he could do it in studio. And actually, the, we're not really set up for that. It's, it's actually easier in these days to do it over Skype, which is very strange. So, um, so, so Richard Gilbert's going to call in from where he's staying in L.A. And uh, we're going to do the... the, the reading in more of an interview and discussion next week actually i'm sure i'll read some haikus uh haiku as well there's no s at the end of haiku if it's plural um but anyway it's gonna be a lot of fun so i hope you tune in next week for that and uh we'll see you then bye